When we're delivering healthcare, we're dealing with people when they're probably not at their best. They're sick, they're injured, they're vulnerable. And in healthcare, we talk about the importance of caring for vulnerable people. But what does that mean? How do we do that with purpose? And how can technology play a role to improve the care and engagement of vulnerable communities? Well, with me today, I'm joined by Richard Taggart, CIO at Sydney Local Health District, as well as Christina Augusto, Chief Digital Health Officer and CIO at Western Sydney Local Health District, and Nicole Nixon, CEO of Five Faces. In this episode, we talk about who is actually a vulnerable person. How do you go about identifying their needs and supporting them? How does this influence technology that's rolled out to health districts? And how can we future-proof sustainable solutions to care for vulnerable people in the face of emerging and automated technologies? So here we go, collaboration. It starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Being a GP in Australia is a busy gig. You see a lot of patients during the day, then you're expected to find time outside of the clinic to maintain your CPD and education. A great way for GPs to access education is through podcasts. And Australia's leading education podcast for busy GPs is called The Good GP. It's had well over a million downloads, regularly ranked in the top 10 medical podcasts in Australia, and a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. The show's hosted by three GPs, Chris, Tim, and Sean, and The Good GP regularly features episodes on all the important topics that GPs need to know without all the fluff. And The Good GP podcast now has the support of MedTech Global as a key sponsor for the show. MedTech help GPs be GPs by working with clinicians in Australia and New Zealand to develop patient management systems and healthcare technology. MedTech's on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. If you're a busy GP or know someone who is, check it out, The Good GP Podcast, on your favourite podcast player. I'm Christina Gasso. I'm the Chief Digital Health Officer and CIO of Western Sydney Local Health District. I'm Richard Taggart. I'm the Chief Information Officer at Sydney Local Health District. Yeah, hi, and I'm Nicole Nixon, the Managing Director at Five Faces. Thank you. And today we're, we're talking about vulnerable communities and the technology to support those. Firstly, it's it's important that we we define what a vulnerable person is. Who are we talking about when we talk about technologies to, to support vulnerable communities? Christina? Yeah, I guess uh, the vulnerable people are, I mean, it's a broader question to answer. And I'm sure we're going to touch on it. But um, if you look at the elderly population, for instance, which comes then with, the, you know, typically having chronic diseases and, and disabilities or even being an elderly person uh, has a certain need when it comes into our facilities and hospitals and services. Uh, we have people that might be under financial distress. We might have people that um, having low um, health literacy uh, and mental health issues, or we have domestic violence. And depending on who that group is, and then we have our um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. And depending on who the person is and the patient comes in, um, that that comes with certain needs and for every person or every individual that's vulnerable, 
um, that needs to be a humanistic approach to and responsiveness, how we then approach and, and support those with the different needs. So listing the needs that they would potentially have is going to be really hard because it's individual also to those groups. But in, in particular, if you look at elderly, um, they might be frail, they might be worried um, because of the concerns they comes into, but that goes to every vulnerable person that comes into. In general, when you come into hospital, at least my opinion, you're quite vulnerable. Because yeah. why are your other, you know, why are you else coming to an hospital? It's uh, exactly right. It's a point I was thinking as you were saying that it's not like, well, you know, we tick these particular boxes and now we are compliant or we are now good for, for looking after vulnerable mm. people. Such a Initially, when we say, well, obviously we need to be able to cater for people who are in a vulnerable situation, but it's mm. so broad and like you say, you come into a healthcare setting, you're, you're vulnerable by, by yeah. definition. And But then we also have the intellectual and physical disabled, uh, disability community that we need to support in certain, and that might require certain techniques, certain technique, um, certain um, technology or even support in the entrance when they're coming in. So, um, yeah, to support that vulnerable group as well, I guess it's, it's going to be tailored to the particular person yeah. and the disability that they have. And Richard, we're talking about identifying someone as being vulnerable, but sometimes from the other side, being a vulnerable person, you might not want to identify as a, as a vulnerable person or have any kind of special treatment. So there's another added complexity that we need to take into consideration when designing health services, right? Totally. It's completely contextual. And any single person from any background can be vulnerable depending on the context that they find themselves in. And in healthcare, we've got such variety with the types of people that we see but also the types of people providing that healthcare and working in the system that there, at any one particular moment, you could be very vulnerable or your family member could be very vulnerable. And that could be for any number of reasons, whether it's uh, your ethnicity, whether it's your sexuality, whether it's your age, whether it's your knowledge of the system, the language you speak. It really depends on the context. Mm-hmm. And finding yourself in a position where you weren't expecting to be vulnerable either, like if you're living in a rural community or something like that, and all of a sudden you find that you've got to go and work, um, move to the city temporarily. Mm. You know, where am I going to stay? Where am I going to eat? How, what's the transport? How am I going to financially support this when my job's back in my town? Like, mm. so y- you might not even realize that you're vulnerable, but sometimes things happen and you find yourself in that position very unexpectedly. And then you like need that support and advice. I can relate to that as well, um, you know, coming from a different country. And I, I need to say that I, you know, quite, quite health literate, literate, been working in the healthcare my mm. whole career and um, in a hospital setting. And I just recently was an out, outpatient myself. Mm. And I was just thinking then about the vulnerable, pe- vulnerable people in general that comes into the hospital. Uh, I'm sent from an outpatient clinic with a referral in my hand across the street to an imaging center for my examination. Mm. Uh, I'm asked questions in, you know, when I'm approaching that, that center, a couple of questions that, you know, I was, you know, I, I could add, could answer, but I would just appreciate it might be people that can't answer those questions. And then I got the examination and I got, and then, if, you know, for myself, I was thinking, what happens with the images now? And I need to ask this question because I, you know, kind of know the system. And I was just thinking, if you really don't have struggles with, you know, not understanding the language or you're really worried or you have a disability, intellectual disability, uh, hearing, um, you know, impairment or visual impairment and et cetera, whatever it might be, um, that just, uh, you know, increases that in complexity. We need to appreciate that when yeah. we, when we think about how we meet our patients. I think from my own 
experience as well with my dad and he was someone who the last thing he would want would be for someone to like need to help him or like he would prefer to to really try himself to to do something because there's that sense of of purpose there and so that's really important too so it's it's, it's there's a lot of complexities and and uh, many healthcare providers can appreciate that and health systems need to take that in consideration but also importantly those that are creating the technology around it to be able to support those too and to your point nicole sometimes it's, it can be a, a permanent thing and sometimes it can be temporary as well so given that context we've got uh, the this broad bucket of people who are a vulnerable community either permanently temporarily of different kind of preferences and needs we're designing solutions. What do we do with this this known information that um, about vulnerable communities? How do we start kind of unpacking this in in factoring in the needs of vulnerable people in designing health systems? I think what's really important is that when we're designing new things or we're refining services that we have and we're putting digital in that context, we have to make sure that we're building for everybody. Everybody should get in and everybody should be able to use it rather than designing for any one particular person. Mm. The other thing that I think we all need to bring is kindness. Know in those moments, those vulnerable moments, that that extra little bit of warmth in the language that you use, that extra little care and attention that you put into, whether it's a booking app that you're making or the way that you greet somebody with a system as they enter it for the first time, whether it's a patient, a family member, or a staff member, Kindness can make a huge difference and people can sense that kindness in mm. the way that you've gone about building something. And then also validating and checking our assumptions. You know, we might design something in a beautiful setting like this one that gets used in the field somewhere. And actually we need to go back and check when it's working in the real world and see, is, are those vulnerable people able to get the benefit that we intended when we designed that system? Mm. There's plenty of examples of of technology built in this isolated environment, really good internet and really great yeah. looking screens, and you get it out and it's mm. a different story. But I, yeah, and I agree, totally agree. I think you need to be flexible and agile and we need to have that co-design together with um, the community they're trying to serve. But back to, to Rich's point, it needs to be simplistic, uh, it needs to be user-friendly, we need to think about the education and not making it too complex. There's another part I think we sometimes also forget, especially if we are driven um, you know, change agents is that sustainability is also important. We might need to let it sit for a while, this, the solution we put in place and, and getting feedback and adjusting as we learn and not changing that too quickly. And because that's also going to be a cause of vulnerability to someone that's has trouble trusting or learning or adapting to a new way of, you know, approaching our facilities that, you know, now they've kind of got used to this, let it be for a while and not change it. Um, so I think that's another one. And a humanistic approach, as you men- uh, Richard mentioned, a humanistic um, you know, approach to the technology, but also have a humanistic fallback plan for the ones that doesn't appreciate or can't or you know, doesn't appreciate technology. I think the, um, when we're designing the product, we always need to consider um, the different cohorts of people and different groups of people. They've all got different needs. You know, um, I think of an example of someone who needs to change an appointment they might have a hearing um, impairment or they might be choosing between taking income from a job or attending a health appointment. Mm. So like, how do you give them that easy way to be able to reschedule their appointment? Mm. Um, yeah, there's just so many different, but the empathy and understanding and keeping the language simple, I think that's um, mm. very key. 
The Talking Health Tech podcast has been running since 2018 with over 400 episodes and no signs of slowing down. It's all possible thanks to the support of our THT Plus members. These are startup and scale-up members who get it. They know that collaboration starts with a conversation. And they know that to make meaningful change in healthcare, we need to break down those silos one conversation at a time. We love to feature our THT Plus startup and scale-up company members on this podcast, so you'll hear from them regularly if you listen to this show, and you'll also see they have a strong presence on our SEO-optimized website. THT Plus members can share unlimited content on our website too, like news events and jobs, which we then redistribute across our wider audience through our socials and our newsletter. If you're interested in being part of the conversation, become a THT Plus member today so we can get the word out about the most important topics in healthcare together. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus to learn more. It can be one thing for us to talk generally about, you know, these concepts, but I'd love to learn a bit about, you know, how some of this might apply into different communities or, you know, we've got Richard and Christina from different local health districts here in New South Wales. Um, Christina out in Western Sydney, Mm. LHD. Tell me a bit about how, you know, technology might play a role in, in helping those vulnerable communities in that particular region. Mm. So uh, since the social determinants in, in Western Sydney is quite broad, we have the, you know, the culture uh, differences, we have income um, issues, you know, we have poverty, um, multilingual requirements that, that's needed, the whole Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander community. Uh, all of these needs to be factored in when we, when we deploy the different solutions. And I think what we have done is that we have worked very closely with um, with our customer engagement manager and our engagement team, and they're different, and that you need to tailor your approach depending on what community you're working with, if it is Aboriginal community. But even within sometimes, which I have learned, within the uh, Aboriginal community, you might need to have a different tailored approach to, to addressing. So when it then comes back to technology support um, for that, um, you need to kind of factor in, uh, do they have connectivity? Can you even have a digital solution in those places? They might be transient, so they might, you know, um, not keep the number for very long or move very often. Uh, so all of these th- things need to be factored in. So we have put a lot of effort into, um, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we understand our community and how does that then translate into the digital solutions that we the need to deploy? Um, and I think it comes back to what we already comment on. It needs to be simplistic. It needs to be something that's co-designed, meeting the community still you know, simple enough to it so it can capture a bigger cohort of the community. Um, we have done a lot of simple things, but necessary things as updating our websites, portals, uh, the social um, media platforms. Um, one thing that I'm particularly um, impressed by, where I think it's really, it's a simple thing, but actually using the Sydney Health Literally Hub editor. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, that actually then uses to assess the, uh, the, the information and the, that we have on the websites and the documents and, and, and assess if they're readable for a general community of people. And so it actually tailors them and say, well, this is too complex for the general community, which isn't one thing. But then the next step is, which we're also working on, what does then the digital solution as apps and we're working together with New South Wales Health app, for instance, to see um, as we all are providing feedback, but also from a vulnerable context. So it's a certain team that's working through that with eHealth at the moment, for instance, to just give you an example. 
Yeah, getting to know that community and, mm. and simplicity is key. Definitely, those are some key, key messages there. Richard, what about yourself? Uh, we've got a similar uh, type of diversity in Sydney Local Health District. Many people don't speak English as the first language at home. Many people come from different backgrounds. We have a very large Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander population and Torres Strait Islander population. We have uh, the highest density of social housing in in the country, just in the little region around some of our major services. So a lot of variety and a lot of people that will come with different types of vulnerable needs that we need to consider. So when we're looking at digital solutions, we're trying to balance those standardized services that we can move quickly, that are consistent whether you move from Sydney to Western Sydney to Northern Sydney. So we're working with statewide colleagues to keep it the same and so that it, you get used to how you interact with the health system and then going hyper-local. So how can we build solutions for a particular community a particular need and group and what do they need and they are often different uh, sometimes conflicting needs and balance you have to balance the standard versus the highly tailored highly customized mm-hmm. something we've done very recently in the last couple of weeks we're very happy about we have five million occasions of service where people come either for a face-to-face appointment or an online appointment uh, in one of our non-admitted services and it's a very important part of the health system we send a text message to people to say you've got an appointment we send it out few days in advance and then the day of the appointment to remind you and that text message is in English despite the fact that more than 50% of the population who we serve speak a language other than English at home and so we've just recently introduced technology to allow us to change that setting so that you can have it in simple Chinese and we're rolling it out in other languages so that it's in their native language they can actually follow that appointment and they can also seek help to book an interpreter in their native language simple thing to send a text message very powerful thing for the patient experience if we're able to do it in context of their language and their culture. We've talked about uh, getting things right at the front end, making it easier, making it simpler, a better experience for a vulnerable patient receiving healthcare. Um, something we've seen last year and ongoing, always been in front of mind, but more recently, some big cybersecurity incidences that have occurred um, in, in different settings and some in healthcare settings. And, you know, even if we get all of those service design things right and a vulnerable patient's information is no longer secure, that's a big problem. So, uh, I, you know, cybersecurity and the whole governance piece and all those bits and pieces have got to play a really important role here as well, right? Nicole, in building some of these solutions, that must always be front of mind, but particularly for, for vulnerable communities. Oh, absolutely. And it's come to the forefront because of the recent... Um, situations that we've had. So just considering how we can manage patients' information when sharing it, like we don't send things via email anymore. Everything can be done on digital forms and in a very secure way. The way people access their information, how they communicate, you know, they have to, they can on a web-based solution um, without having to have all of those potential gateways where we can have a cyber um, interaction. So I think um, the, the digital forms and being able to communicate with people in a web-based environment and always keeping security at the top of mind is um, very important. And we work really closely with um, the health districts in when designing that to ensure that we're taking every possible consideration yeah. in that design process as well. I'm interested too, because when I think of making something more secure or making a system more secure, my mind immediately thinks to goes to 
making it harder to use. So, no. like, is it a continuum? Like, where, you know, something can be really easy to use, but the, the less secure it is? Or am I thinking about this the wrong way? Well, I think we're just getting better at it. I think that the design around what we're doing, um, we're making it a lot more um, consumer-centric in everything that we do. It's not just for the patients, but for the staff as well. We're trying to, you know, reduce the burden on the people and the people doing the administration and everything as well. So I think we're taking a lot of consideration into the design aspect while trying to keep it secure. And I think it's quite the opposite. I don't think it's making things more difficult. It's actually streamlining things um, because people don't have to copy things and do additional processes because we're automating workflows which can transfer that information without that human touch. Probably not quite as positive about it as you, Nicole, although I do agree with that vision. You know, we should be making things so that they're eloquently designed, yeah. straightforward to use and simplifying things so that they're also secure by design. But the reality is that health systems are incredibly messy, complex places. We have a lot of paper processes. We have a lot of things that we collect just because we've always collected them. There's a lot of cultural uh, norms in the health system, not just in Australia, but globally. Well, we probably haven't had the reckoning that we need to culturally to change the way we collect information, how we use information, how we share information. And the current cybersecurity issues that we've seen in Australia have highlighted that, you know, large uh, uh, service providers keeping information unnecessarily because of a, you know, an arbitrary uh, process or a, a regulation that really doesn't make sense in 2023. I think what we need to do is start asking ourselves, why are we collecting the information? Do we really need it? Mm -hmm. And it's a clinical governance issue in a number of respects for, for digital health people like ourselves to think of, because health is only really provided when the clinician and the patient have a trusting relationship. And if you're not confident in sharing the information, then how can you have that trust? And similarly, if the system goes down, well, then you can't provide that care. And in, in an age where all your uh, pathology results are electronic, your CT scan is electronic, your prescription is electronic, actually can really cause patient harm. Um, so I, I think the other area of cybersecurity that we're seeing an increasing amount of is that we need to have deep uh, technology specialists who understand design, but also understand the health context. And we need much more of them helping us at the design stage, the main maintain, maintenance and also the decommissioning stage of all of these digital systems that we've all been putting in. Uh, it's a great opportunity for people to work in that space, I think. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think uh, we need to also remind ourselves that technical cybersecurity, this technical security is one part and that's really important, but also as, as Richard referred to, the information security. And I think what we need to be better at is actually work uh, together with the clinical you know, workforce and, and the information that's out there, even if it is put into a technical system, is it, you know, is it safe? Why is it captured? How do we get the information security and accountability of the information? And then we have the technical security and that needs to be very, very tightly um, collaborating to, to solve these issues um, or to mitigate them and, and then solve them. It's really interesting. There's so many antiquated systems, still paper systems, fax machines, mm -hmm. um, mailing information through the, you know, through mm -hmm. the mail. That's so going to be interesting over the next few years how we progress and um, modernise the way we handle information. Mm. Quite exciting. 
generically about putting technology and I'd love to learn about some some specific examples that, that could help here. What are some examples of technologies that we think that can help those vulnerable communities in, in healthcare settings? Well, I think uh, we can do so much more when it comes to to digital apps and we talk about that all the time, but definitely we could in con- combination with remote monitoring. We can do that to, to support and do risk assessment and iteration for elderly people. We can use that for um, helping cancer patients, you know, Parkinson's, diabetes to track uh, medica- appointments, um, medication, side effects, and etc. Um, and it, as I referred to before, I've come from a different country, and and I think uh, you know what we did back there was that there was already a lot of digital um, apps that was already out there supporting vulnerable people, but in general patients, and I think. We can do so much more, and I think we really need to put a focus on that in, in, in health in New South Wales. Um, uh, I think also there's examples where we can improve it in the hospitals, like we had, um, you know, like, um, light, light strings in the floor, now, you know, showing the way to the toilet, uh, heat cameras in the toilet for fall risk. Um, you know, yes, they cost, and but it's a good, great benefit out of, you know, using those technologies to support as well within the hospital. So. And then when we come more advanced for hearing impairment and visual impairment, the work in my eye or using AI to recognize object colors and, you know, persons and et cetera. And, and um, I have a brother that's visual, uh, visually impaired and um, he just got his my eye and, you know, he can actually then can be trained to recognize Christina uh, or recognize this is an unrecognizable but it's a man that's, you know, in this age and he can scan text and all that sort of things. Um, so there's a lot of different technology that I think we could use yeah. to support a lot. I agree. And one of the good things out of the last couple of years, the pandemic response uh, has meant that we've encouraged consumers to use their smartphone a lot more. Even people mm. who maybe didn't have a smartphone before now are very familiar with opening up the camera and using a QR code and checking mm. in, or if you're in New South Wales, getting an, an app and getting a voucher to go and see things, which is great for us digital folk because now... We've got this this baseline foundational level of digital enablement, digital literacy in the community that we can leverage to engage them in their health, engage them in the system. And so we're trying to do much more of that, but do it thoughtfully, carefully. And I'm going to borrow a phrase from you, just let it be for a while also. Uh, some of the things that we've done though behind the scenes, because not all of it has to be in the hands of the consumer. Um, so we've improved our telephone systems recently so that we have contact center technology to get people to the right person to speak to much faster and also be able to follow up with them if they've dropped the call. It's a simple thing, but when you've got lots of patients trying to contact you, that's quite important. And we use the data from our electronic medical record to identify vulnerable children now and so that we're able to actually go and intervene when they present to one of our services and just have a conversation that may may lead to something that actually improves that child's life or or helps the family. And some of that tech is, is not visible to consumers but it makes a massive difference to many people's lives and uh, very recently we've been working with the aged care sector to enable all of those important workers those uh, those care workers those nursing members of staff who've really worked tirelessly over the last couple of years to look after their their community members the residential aged care members and also the patients and we're able to now easily more easily connect them to a clinician so that we don't have to transmit that patient via an ambulance or another mechanism into the emergency department using simple things like a video conferencing call or a text message to that nurse to provide some advice. Uh, So these are just some of the simple things that we put in place that I think are making a difference for vulnerable people. It's going to be important too that uh, 
technology is ever evolving and you know richard you use the example of it like not only is the technology evolving but but people's um, attitudes towards technology will change as well and hopefully for the better and more adoption but um nicole in, in creating technology solutions it's going to be important too to think about the longevity of some of these solutions as well you don't want to bake in something that is going to be redundant in you know a couple of years time so how do we think mm -hmm. about building sustainable or, 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 or um, solutions that can evolve. Um, yeah, I think having a, a solution that is flexible and able and agile in the workflows and it's not like just a product that is, that's your solution and that's what you get, but actually having a solution that's flexible, working with vendors that um, are able to quickly change and modify, but in designing the product in the first place, making it um, flexible for the users using it and so they don't always have to come back to the vendors either. So actually creating the product so that, you know, questions can be changed, documents can be changed, digital forms can be created with multiple different conditional logic questions built off the back of that. So I think always thinking about like the next step. So Technology in the next five years is going to change dramatically. Mm. It's not going to stay where it is today. We're used to using kiosks today. That's not going to happen in the next five years. In the next five years, we'll probably, there'll be, you know, wherever your location of your mobile phone is, is how you'll check into a queue. So we've always just got to continue thinking, continue working with the users and thinking about what's next in our design. But really important to um, have a flexible solution that's customizable to your needs um, and it's, you know, it, that will create the sustainability and it can integrate with other systems. There's a lot of investment that goes into technology. Um, so enabling those integration points is really important as well. Christina, you mentioned the all-important return on investment at some point in the last couple of minutes as well because I think about some of these things could be seen as nice to have if there's budget or um you know but the reality i imagine is you know every technology deployment needs to have a return like a, d a demonstrable return on investment it's um there's there's constraints and budgets there's there's things that need to get done so you know in some of these examples to richard and christina you know about deploying some of these technologies to help vulnerable communities. How are these types of things justified? Does it come from identified needs? Is it about reducing the cost to be able to do these things? Is it just something you need to do because that's what this is the environment that we're in? How do you go about thinking about uh, justifying the spend for, you know, the, the heat mapping in the toilets or the re redoing the, the, the things? Can sound, that's great if you can, but in the end, it's like sometimes it's, this is the minimum that we need to do and anything else if we can, but... It's a, it's a difficult balancing. How do you go about it? Well, I think, uh, first of all, so I think we, we do have a great, as we just discussed, a great um, amount of vulnerable people in, in, the health, uh, in the healthcare setting. So I think it's a, it's a matter of prioritizing, aligned up with the quality benefits and the safety and quality, which is another part that might not be enabled to be tangible cost or you know, aligned to it, but it's actually other benefits in the safety quality perspective, which is really important in the healthcare setting. But when it comes to, um, but a little bit back to, to Nicole's um, comments there, uh, for me at least, it's important for me when I invest in different platforms to see what is this capability actually giving me? What is, how can I use this for other functionalities that might not be appreciated, you know, what, what I'm not be requiring when I'm procuring the particular platform? 
So I try to always think, what else can we use this for? Uh, and if we can do that, which is tricky, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's what we try to do all the time. And if we already have solutions, investments in place, uh, that's already in, you know integrated, we have a good interoperability, how can we then use that platform to build apps on that platform that we already have invested? So we don't, I'm the first to say, when my team comes to me and say, we're going to get another vendor in with a new app, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to see what do we have and how can we then utilize our already invest in investments and how can we do great investments moving forward to have that mechanism already in place and then develop that, customize ourselves. It doesn't need to be that complex if you have a good platform to do that. As you know, Richard and Nicole also has referred to, uh, the simple things is as valuable as the complex things. So depending on what the context. I, I completely agree with what you just said, Christina. I have a, a view, a sort of tight and loose approach. I, I think for our core strategic platforms that affect our business workflows, they need to have a solid business case. They need to have a quick return on investment. And actually any change that we make, we need to consider that return on investment. But there's a lot of inertia in the health system. You know, there's a lot of tech that we just haven't adopted because either we haven't got the scale or the momentum or we haven't built the culture that is required for us to adopt it like we've seen in other sectors. And so when I say tight and loose, in the loose space, I think innovation itself needs to have less of a return on investment to try something because that in you know, just trying something in itself in the health system gives us a return. We've learned something, mm -hmm. we've shared something, we've, we've had a go at tackling a problem. And then the ones that bubble to the surface in that loose innovation, those are the ones that I then look for and say, okay, how can we tie that back to our core platform strategy or invest in that to make it more sustainable? And that's when the return on investment business case kind of commercial reality needs mm -hmm. to set in. So taking all this into consideration then and thinking about perhaps lessons or things to reflect on, you know, Nicole, it's a good example. We've heard from two uh, different districts, two areas of, of Sydney, of New South Wales, but there'd be many other um, communities and, and health services around Australia and different parts of the world that have unique needs for, for vulnerable patients, but obviously lessons that could be learned across each. I guess from your perspective as a, as a vendor, you would see, you know, different health districts and everything, um, you know, there's got to be some value in, in having that cross collaboration across these and, and sharing these lessons amongst them to be able to service more vulnerable communities, right? Yeah, absolutely. With a with a product like the Five Faces solution, we're always keeping the patient at the centre and the consumer at the centre of all of our design and everything that we do. But it's just so interesting to see each hospital and each district, each clinic in fact, has a different need and a different workflow or a different um, group of people that they're serving. So it's really interesting to look at all of the different ways that they're using the technology because it's it's so interesting how they all look at it so differently and bring new ideas and new concepts. And if we are able to share that as the vendor amongst other hospitals and other health districts, I think that's where real benefit's going to come because a hospital might only see what they need, what they, their current focus is, but then you can bring ideas and concepts from others. Um, and if you all build that into the modules and the different components and features and functionality, it's just going to create a much richer um, solution. Um, and not everyone will need everything, but you can, being the, the vendor in the centre, you can then share those experiences and what you've learnt um, with other people. So I think everyone will benefit um, as long as everyone's open to sharing the information and their workflows. Um, I think that's a, a real benefit to everybody. 
absolutely agree with you. And Christina, any other final thoughts and um, perhaps recommendations for other health districts looking at or, or health systems, clinics looking to implement technology to support more vulnerable people? Well, I think uh, back to, you know, really tailor the solution and, and think about the vulnerable community that you're actually going to use the solutions for and co-design with them, having flexi- flexible and agile enough to to be able to support those needs. What I do think that we have learned and what we need to maybe become better at is actually not, you know, work as a more multidisciplinary teams around the tech. So we actually use the clinicians together with the community, the, the patients and the, the vendor in this case, if it would be five phases or with my tech team to actually see how do we actually, you know, bring the value to this community that's actually going to use the system. So I think that's one thing that we really need to get. And back to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people, uh, we just recently went into um, training for two days for the senior execs in Western Sydney and the communi- pa- communication patterns and how you know, actually communicate with certain communities. That was a great learning for us. And not just, I think we need to be careful not to, especially when working with digital and technology, think that we know how this is going to look like, but rather be responsive and you know humble to actually have them um, help us to lead the way. I think that will be the best. Look, I think creativity is really good for business. It's really good for the health business to foster a culture of solving problems, sharing ideas. And if we can get to the point where designers and clinicians and clinician designers can work together to think about how we can solve problems for patients and their families and act with kindness and then continue to validate what they're doing in a design thinking creative way, then we'll create this momentum, this innovation for change, and then digital will be a tool that we'll be able to use as part of solving those problems. And whilst I do like creativity, I also think that we need to make sure that we're leveraging from others, learning from others. So if someone's already solved that problem, if there's an industry standard, well, bake that in and move on to the next thing rather than try and reinvent the same wheel over and over. And everything that we do is to break down those barriers of mistrust, keep the patient at the centre of everything that we're doing. I mean, that's what we're here. We're all here to serve the patient. So if we can continue to keep that top of mind and if that means sharing experiences and all of that, I think that's what we need to be focused on at the end of the day. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you know what we're going to do? We're going to we're, we're going to try this whole questions from people thing. So, one thing that we that we did before this discussion for uh, Christina and Richard and Nicole is I posted in the THT Plus community forum and and I, and I let people know, let our members know that we're, we're having this discussion. And I put the question out to the community, and there were quite a few questions and comments that came through. So, I'm going to read a few, and then let's see uh, see what uh, comes up. So, Kevin Bennett mentioned that it'd be great to hear of any examples of emerging technologies you're seeing or would like to see. Uh, more of to support vulnerable communities. Speaking of emerging technologies, we haven't talked about about bots because you know we've seen Chat GPT and and uh, AI and how incredible years is it? ago, a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> to 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 suggest that you know to tell me that I need to speak to a bot first, I would get frustrated. But you know, more recently, you're seeing the power of some of these tools. I, I guess. We all kind of need to keep an eye on like those things around the corner and what's coming next and, and keeping open to, to technologies, right? So that's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to watch. Well, I think the bots will definitely grow. And I think that's, it's already happening in, in, you know, in our health space as well. So and I think that's going to approach to the patients, uh, in the more, and they are actually going to ask for it. The future patient is already here. So when we're talking about, you know, patient in general, Yes, there are different ones that doesn't appreciate that kind of interaction, but then there are the future patient that's requiring that. 
and that's going to come to us. And look, and one of the problems with the health system is that we have to give up a lot of time, both people working in it and also the people who experience it and going through it as, as, as customers of the health system. You wait for people, you wait for results. And a lot of that waiting can be waiting on the phone or waiting for someone to interact with you. And this technology can actually help improve that experience or give you the information faster. The end of your call is important to us. You know, you, you please wait in a queue. Could be that you could talk to chat GPT or something else and, and get on with your day. And I think that'll make a big difference to everybody. Can I just quickly add one thing? I just remember when you said, Richard, so sorry for that, but uh, also for the staff. Because all the time we spend on digging information, if we can get uh, an intelligence automation into the system, which is, you know, low-hanging fruit, uh, to just access information, to get, you know, getting that information and respond to that question. Um, You know, we did a little similar pilot and we saved 260,000 hours a year and that's staff time, you know, in my previous one that could definitely be expanded into Mm -hmm. our services. Um, another one came up from Dan McInerney saying, how does service design play a key role when, when putting together solutions? So service design, that came out a lot. Well, I, I, I can, can comment on that one because um, um, I was in a conference and you know, panel speakers and um, um, I was working with Kaiser Permanente. Uh, but I was just going to say, and I like, he, he has one slide that he used all the time. And I think that's, we design in its three-tier or four-tier kind of uh, explanation. We look at the experience, we, we, did, we design the digital tool, and then we might, if you're lucky, put that into the hands of the user. And then we kind of look at the experience. And then if we really do it well, we actually then take it that and put it into a context of mm. a broader sense and we use that. But when it actually goes to service design is when we put that into a context, how does this, you know, operate in the context of everything that we're doing on a day, everything from corporate to clinical in that context of that digital tool. And we actually are designing our services with digital enabled models of care or digital enabled workflows. Mm -hmm. That's when we're actually doing service design. And I think we are maturing in that space. And I, I, you know, I would see more service designer work in, you know, in the healthcare um, settings. Yeah. wholeheartedly agree with that, Christina. The other thing I'm starting to see is that we're moving from people in healthcare who work in IT and take requests from the health the health business to build solutions to actually being digital health leaders and going in and co-designing services and actually challenging clinical and management colleagues to how services should be designed with the knowledge of digital and the knowledge of the tools that you can bring to the table. And I would really encourage people to be bold, break down some of those existing paradigms because the health system's got so many opportunities to improve the experience for staff and for patients, and it can only be done if we challenge some of the thinking that was there and been baked in over tens of decades. And always considering the vulnerable consumer, Absolutely. you know, in, in, in all of those di- different circumstances and all of their different situations. It's not, you know, a patient that has high literacy and not has any issues. It's the vulnerable patients that we need to consider in that design process as well. Sula made a comment and uh, I guess a question of like, will we ever get to that patient-centered care model that we so desperately need? I guess I think about our discussion that we've had a lot of it is about putting the, the patient at the center. So that, that's critical from design perspective and whatever the patient is. Don't forget the family. The family is an important mm, part of the community. Yeah. It's an important part of who you are. It's often how we interact with patients is they've got a family member also with them along the way. We can't forget them. They're an important part of the process. Mm. 
And even putting the patient and the family and the carer as a part of the team. Absolutely. Not only the center, but also part of the team. Well, look, we had some other questions and comments within the THT Plus community there, and maybe I'll chat with you and we'll, we'll respond to those separately. So, Christina, Richard, Nicola, thank you so much for making the time to have a chat today. Thanks, yeah. Pete. It's fun. Thanks, Pete. Hey, before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you enjoyed the show, write a nice review and give us five stars in your favorite podcast player. At the time of this recording, we've been stuck on 65 reviews on Apple. I'm not sure what that's about. But if this show is part of your regular routine and you've listened this far, it would mean the world to me if you could take two minutes and write a nice review, give us five stars. It does more than just boost my ego. It also helps us climb the charts and reach more people. Thanks so much. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit TalkingHealthTech.com.